Well, it's good to have you guys here this morning. And uh, before we jump into the sermon, uh, we're going to do a little family chat. All right. Just take a moment to talk about something we have coming up next week. We've got baptism coming up this next week, and uh, we are excited about it. Huge celebration time. I love Baptism Sunday. We do this a couple of times a year, and it's just awesome to hear people giving their testimony of how Christ has changed their life and how they're sold out for him. And then we get to do a little bit of worshiping and a little bit of cheering and making much of our king and and, uh, Baptism Sunday. It's an exciting time, isn't it? Amen. It's always a blast. and I know the body uh, loves being a part of it too. So baptism, let's talk about it for a little bit. All right. And uh, some of you are like, I don't even know why we make a big deal out of it. Why get baptized? All right, here we go. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, how much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go make some disciples. And they're like, great. How do we do that? He's like, let me give you a tip, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptizing and teaching. That's how you make disciples. Huh? I wonder what we should do on Sunday mornings around here. Baptizing and teaching. Like that's what's going on. All right. As we make disciples. And so we're making much of our God. And so baptism, it's a command from Jesus Christ to go after it with all we have. And uh, what does it mean? And so let's be really clear on baptism. Um, it means you've already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, all right? Baptism does not save. Everybody get that? Baptism does not save. It means you already are saved. And so you've already gone through and said, I admit, I- I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I admit I'm in a bad spot before God. And he has the answer, I admit. I believe, B, I believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again. I believe, I believe in the power of the almighty king. A lot of people do that, you know, they're like, I get that I'm wrong and I get Jesus died on the cross and they kind of stop there. But scripture doesn't stop there. It says, and C, confess, confess him as your Lord. That's saved. Like you're in charge in my life, God, you take over and you might be here today and you're like, I haven't done that. I thought he just died for me and I'm good. And no, we really do need to make it our own where we're saying, Lord, I'm leaning on you. I'm following after you. I'm trusting you. I confess you as my Lord. I believe you are God almighty and I'm following you with all I have. That's saved. All right. And uh, if you're in that position, you're like, that's where I'm at, man. I'm following after Christ. I'm saved. Well, Well, then the next step is take a stand for him and let everybody else know you're standing there. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, it's time. It's time for me even maybe to put a stake in the ground today and trust in Christ and follow him. And maybe you're like, I've already trusted Christ. I'm ready to take the stand and baptism. Great. That's what it's all about is sharing with everyone else that you've made that commitment, making it real before others that you're following your savior. All right. Baptism. So that's the why. And, uh, I want to talk a little bit about a few other questions that come up with it, but here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and uh, they're going to be passing a card down the row and I need you to do two things at once. You're going to be passing the card. To everybody take one. How many take one? Everybody. everybody take a card. All right. And so do that and listen to me at the same time. I know I'm asking a lot. So as the cards are coming down, everybody take a card and pass it on. Just take a card and keep listening to me. All right, here we go. Everybody take a card. 
and listen to me. Okay, here we go. Uh, when should I get baptized? When? All right, scripture's pretty clear. It says, uh, this is Acts chapter 18. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. You hearing that? The ruler of the synagogue. This dude is running the Jewish synagogue. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul, they believed and were baptized. Belief and then baptism. We see it modeled all over in Acts that we see people coming to trust Christ and their next step is make it public that you're following him. Make it real that he's now your savior. Let other people know if you've believed it's time to get baptized. When should I be baptized? Let me answer it maybe more specifically. When should I get baptized? If you have trusted Christ as your savior and you have not yet been baptized, then you should get baptized September 28th next week. Come join us with it and let's do it together. Let's make this a huge celebration for him. All right. A couple other questions we hear often about baptism. Frequently asked questions. Well, I was, uh, I was baptized at another church. I trusted Christ. Then I was baptized at this other church. Do I need to be baptized here? And uh, so I usually answer the question this way. Um, no, we're not a cult. You're not getting baptized into Harvest Bible Chapel. You're getting baptized into the name of your Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've already done that, we're great with that. Uh, one is enough. All right. So uh, thank you for getting baptized and following him already. If you have uh, been baptized at another church after trusting Christ, you're good. All right. Well, what if I was baptized by sprinkling? Like at the place, I know you guys make a big deal out of baptism. It goes down into the water and up into new life. Romans 6, right? We see this immersion. That's what the word really means to be immersed. And uh, you guys make a big deal out of that. I wasn't. It was like a sprinkling or a pouring over the head or something like that. And do I need to get baptized here? And I was after salvation, but different mode. What do you think? And so we always say this. Look, it's, um, it's not about how wet you get, right? The mode isn't as important there. But I will say, for some of you, you might be like, I'm not sure they really even understood what baptism was when I was getting baptized. The clarity of it was off, and I'd like to take a stand and and really step up. Then we're great with that. Um, So hear me on it. I think it's up to you, but if you've been sprinkled baptized, like, that's enough. That's good. That's great. You took a stand for Christ, okay? And we're good with it. And if you felt there was some lack of clarity and you want to make sure that it's clear, then come join us, all right? Uh, What if I was baptized as an infant before salvation? Like I didn't trust Christ as my savior. I was an infant and my parents had me baptized. And like, we're great with that as an element of commitment from your parents saying, we want to dedicate this family and we care for the value of this little one. And, um, but hear me, they would even say like that baptism doesn't save, right? The baptism of the infant. So there's a point where they've come to trust Christ as savior. You've come along in your life and now you do trust Christ then let's do this Acts thing, this believer baptism where you step out and let others know, I trust him, man. I'm following after him. You're taking a commitment publicly to say, this is my king, okay? And a baptism, it's a symbol of what's already been done in you. So if you've trusted Christ, then do step out. Uh, If you were baptized as an infant and not baptized since, then yeah, come join us. Let's do this believer baptism, belief and then baptism. And uh, hear me on this. Some of you have family where this is a big deal and sitting down with them and talking through it. This is not mom and dad. I think what you did is terrible or useless or it's nothing like that. 
It's, look, I appreciate all that you've done in taking a stand for Christ and for me, but this is now me modeling that I've made the stand and I'm stepping up for my king, believer baptism. So if you were baptized as an infant, yeah, come join us next week, all right? And um, so here's the deal. Everybody's got a card in their hands now, right? Everybody should have a card. So here's my request. If you want to be baptized next week, Dude, we need to get your info on there, some uh, connect info for you so that we can call you this week, a little bit of your testimony piece, filling in those blanks, all right, and hand that to the ushers on the way out. Everybody hand your card back to the ushers on the way out. Who hands their card back? Everybody hand your card back to the ushers. If you don't want to be baptized, just go ahead and leave it blank, okay? But if you want to get baptized next week, fill that card out, okay? And make sure you get that to the ushers at the end. We as a pastoral staff will be organizing this up through the midweek. We'll try to give a call by Wednesday or Thursday and get word to you as to where we're doing it and how we're doing it, all right? So we'll get more of the questions answered. Trust me, I know a few of you are sitting here with the card right now and you're like, oh, I hate coming on these days. So much pressure. I knew I should have blown off church today, right? And uh, time to fill it out. Trust me, as a pastoral staff, we'll walk it through with you. This is going to be an awesome time to celebrate your king, all right? Some of you are like, I don't really know what baptism even looks like around here at Harvest. And all right, let's play the video. This is what it looks like. What are we here for? We are here to celebrate. Baptism is all about celebrating God's work in our life. His death, his resurrection, and hope in him. We're going to be applauding. We're going to be cheering. Let's lift up the name of our Savior. What's it going to sound like? When did you come to trust Christ as your personal Savior? Well, I grew up in a family that went to church, um, but I never really knew what it meant to be a Christian. But I never had that personal relationship that I have now. I always had excuses, whether it was, you know, I I just want to get through high school. Then then I got to college, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, let's just make it through these four years. You know, there's some stuff I want to do. Then it'll be easy. For years and years, you know, I tried to do everything on my own. And a few years ago, I felt like God was really calling on my heart and saying, you know, you need to make a decision. It was about a year ago. Like I hadn't slept that night. I had a, you know, a lot of things on my mind. I just broke down in tears, and I, was, I, I couldn't, you know, there, I had no excuses, no good reason not to just open up and have this personal relationship with God. And I mean, that that was shortly after we started coming here. So it's been about a year year long change to get me to this point. I was also raised in a Catholic family. I was uh, baptized as an infant, uh, devout. I got to the age of 38 and realized I needed Jesus in my life more than ever. I uh, attempted to do too many things myself. Um, Instead of walking towards the Lord, at times I would walk away. I realized that uh, I really needed to make a decision, and I really needed to drive that stake in the ground. I made that decision and decided to live my life as a believer and follow Christ as my Savior. What's life like with Christ now? I, I guess the biggest thing I've noticed is just like a freedom that I feel. The Lord really switched my perspectives, and He showed me that um, it's what He sees, not what others see. Even though there's trials and struggles, God has been so faithful, and there's hope. I used to, like I said, go through the motions, you know, now I have a purpose. 
He is rocking the, world, the Woods family like an unbelievable. Things that used to be important are, are not. It's kind of permeated every aspect of my life, and I have a, a new number one. Why do you want to be baptized this morning? This is my public statement to publicly proclaim. I want to declare to everyone. It's a declaration of my faith. I'm a follower of Christ. Show my love for Christ. Mainly to show the world and the universe. I'm ready to do exactly what he wants me to do. Christ died for my sins and I could never repay that. I love Jesus with all my heart. I love him. You know, I may stumble and fall. Jesus Christ, my Savior. He is my Lord. My full trust is in him. I'll be baptized as a believer. I want to be obedient to God. I want to be, come less and make him more. It is time. Today I'm here. It's all about Jesus. Love it. So um, if you have not been baptized, get ready, man. Next week is an awesome celebration. Come join us, all right? Let's be a part of it. Get those cards filled out. Get them back to the ushers. And uh, let's make much of our God next week. And uh, appreciate that video. Powerful. So, all right. Awkward gear shift. Ready? Here we go. So, hey, we're in a series called... uh, Gospel deep, uh, his glory lived out. Gospel deep, his glory lived out. And uh, we are making much of our king as we walk through Romans 12 through 16. Romans 1 through 11 is all about how to have this vertical worship with him, what it looks like to be following after our God and truly trusting in him. And uh, Romans 1 through 11, this awesome vertical worship we can have. And uh, 12 through 16 is like when we're filled to the rim and it's spilling over with our love for our Savior, what's it look like to then care for the people next to you? Uh, Romans 12 through 16, a giant one another's going on. Today we're actually looking at what it looks like for the stronger brother to be able to live within the church community with his freedom. How do I live with freedom in this community? And remember last week we were talking a little bit about the stronger and the weaker. We're in Romans 14, right? And and so you have the four names. You've got the selfish person like, I have freedom in Christ and I will live it out for me, right? The selfish person, just all into them. They don't even care who goes down with it. They actually don't even care how much Christ is honored in it. They now have freedom, selfish, right? And everybody say that's a bad moment. That's not where we want to be, right? Stronger. This is the person who's like, I get I have freedom in Christ with all he's done and fulfilling the scriptures in the Old Testament and his work on the cross. I love my God and I love to honor him and thank him and celebrate him in the freedom that I have. The stronger, the weaker. 
I love the Lord my God. And I love to worship him. I worship him more in what I give up for him. I see him sacrificing in so many ways. And I love to be able to sacrifice back to him. I'm not sure about some of these freedoms that they're saying they have. I feel more close to him when I sacrifice for him. And I'm a little bit hesitant on the freedom. All right, the stronger and the weaker. Those are the two talked about in Romans 14. They're honoring and they're thanking God with all they've got. They're living through life trying to figure out what they can and cannot participate in, kind of in the gray areas. Everybody say, in the gray areas. In the gray areas. That's Romans 14, all right? The black and white is clear, and when it says, thou shalt not, it's always true. It doesn't matter if I'm like, well, I feel like I should be able to kill someone. But that's still wrong. We get that, right? So black and white is black and white. But in the gray areas, all right, there's stronger and there's weaker. And, and some can go after it and some shouldn't. And then there's the far uh, extreme over here, the legalist. The No, it's wrong. And it's wrong. And I say it's wrong for you and you and you. And if you don't do it, then I'm not even sure you're saved. And right, they start to assert their own convictions onto everybody else and in the gray area. So that's the spectrum. We're looking at the stronger and the weaker throughout Romans 14. And today specifically, the stronger How does he live with that freedom in a careful, loving way? All right, so that's what we're looking at. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, Romans 14, starting in verse 13. We got ushers coming forward, and uh, they got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. Uh, All right. Living as the stronger, what are some rules we should go by? Here we go. First one, responsibility. Do not allow your freedom to drag another into sin responsibility. Do not allow your freedom to drag another into sin. Start out here. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way. How often? Never. Not usually, not most of the time. Never put a stumbling block out there. Notice it says, do not pass judgment on one another. Last week, the passing judgment was actually being done by the weaker. As he's like, I can't believe he's not living more narrow for Christ. And what's wrong with them? This week, we've got both parties passing judgment. Yeah, well, I can't believe you don't celebrate your freedom. And, and I think you're wrong. Well, I think you're wrong. And they start getting on each other for how they should live instead of, let, instead of letting the gray areas be worked out by that person in their heart. All right. And he says, don't do that, man. Don't be trying to pass judgment along the way as if that's going to somehow help the church. It says, uh, rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way. Best way I can give an illustration of a stumbling block picture. You pick up like a stool and on one side it says my freedom. Right. You're like, yeah, I love my freedom. And on the other side, it says, join me. Right. It's an invite. Come with me in my freedom. And now we walk along and we set it down in front of someone and we're like, my freedom. And then it's inviting them to join you in it. And guess what? They may not be in a position where their heart is strong enough to be saying, I'm good with doing that. They might join you. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm sinning. This is wrong before God. I shouldn't be here. And be careful. Calling someone to do what you do isn't understanding where their heart is with Christ. And this is an area in the gray areas where God does give us a little bit of a relative kind of statement. Well, what's true for them in their heart? That's what matters. And be careful if you call out an absolute statement and then say you should. 
And all of a sudden we're becoming a stumbling block. We're asking them to do what we're comfortable doing and it's blowing them up. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Did you hear that? Nothing is actually unclean in itself. Absolute. Yet it's unclean if you think it's unclean in the gray areas. How many times do I have to say that phrase in the gray areas? There is a relative thing going on, which is where are you at in your heart? What have you come through life experience wise? What did you do before where maybe now this just feels so wrong? I just can't. It's too close to where I was. And I don't like that, man. It doesn't feel like worship. And right. And uh, if you think it's unclean, well, then for you, it, it is. And here he's talking specifically about eating meat that's declared unclean. Remember Old Testament law, Christ or God was clear like, hey, that meat's unclean. Stay away from it. It was a declaration to them to be uniquely set apart as a nation with their God. But Christ has fulfilled the law. And Paul's like, I'm just telling you, nothing's unclean anymore. Romans 14. And uh, but that doesn't mean that some are okay to go after it. Some Jewish people were like, I'm telling you, I love the taste of pork but it just feels wrong from where I've come from, then, then don't. You know what I'm saying? That's what they were trying to address. And uh, you know what, you, what I'm talking about. Each of you has your life experiences and some things that maybe you're free to do in the Christian walk, but it just feels wrong because it's too much like where you were when you were celebrating you, not Christ. And uh, what do we do with it? All right? So he says here, for if your um, brother is grieved by what you eat, you no longer walk in love. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, okay, this does not mean, everybody say not, this does not mean like, I'm grieved by what you're eating. It bothers me to see you eat it. I won't eat it, but it bothers me to see you eating it. I think you're wrong, so I'm grieved. I'm in fact, at that point, kind of judging, right? That's not what it's talking about. Grieving is like, really? You can eat it? I don't think I could eat it. Like, I don't feel right eating it. And maybe I should. And ah, maybe I shouldn't. And like, you're becoming a temptation for him. That's what he's talking about. The grieving is drawing them into the sin themselves. How many people in uh, Romans 14 battle cry, walk up to someone and say, you shouldn't be doing that. Right? They're not at all being drawn into doing it themselves. Like they've completely missed the point of the passage. They're passing judgment. They're not actually giving them freedom within their heart to work out the gray area. They're trying to clean the gray area up. And that's not what it's about. Okay. Be very careful with it. And uh, so the only time we're really asking someone else to please be careful with what they're doing is if they're going to drag someone into sin that's going to do it with them. And uh, they're uncomfortable with that. All right. It says that's not walking in love. Man, being uh, um, uncaring about their heart is not loving. He goes one step further. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Wow. That's the phrase. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Destroy, right? This is more than just, it made him a little verklempt. He was sort of upset seeing you eat the meat. This is like, it's dragging me into sin. And Christ died for that sin. Christ is like, I'm here to make him holy, man. I'm taking that sin. I'm kicking down doors. I'm forgiven like crazy. I'm transforming this person through. And we walk in and we're like, oh yeah? Well, here's my freedom. 
And if it causes you to trip, oh, well, right? And we get them going right back into sin and we're missing it. It's destructive. I would just say this phrase, man, do not enjoy to the place where you destroy. Do not enjoy to the place where you destroy. That's what he's calling us to. He says, by whom, uh, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. I'm telling you, the first time I read this, I was like, that sounds like an opposite. It just got done saying, give everything up. And now it's saying, don't let it be spoken of as evil. And uh, just so you know, it does not mean, what do you say, not? It does not mean, hey, don't you speak ill of my freedom, right? Don't you tell me it's wrong. It doesn't mean go tag them. You should join me in it. It doesn't mean that. Here's what it means. Don't go celebrating your freedom to the point where it drags another down. And then they're like, did you hear what happened to Bill? No, what happened to Bill? Dude, he's like steeped in it again. He fell right back to where he was. And it's all because of Tim. Tim and his freedom. And he took him down. Right? That's what he's talking about. Don't let your freedom be spoken of as ill. Don't let it be the cause that's dragging someone back into sin. Man, step away from it if you need to in order to protect them. And uh, yes, you can enjoy, but not if it's going to destroy. Okay? He says, for the kingdom of God... For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul's like, please, can we be done? God bless you. (laughs) And that filled the room. So Uh, it's not about eating and drinking. It's just not right. It's not about these physical, tangible, earthly things. Let's stop making the kingdom of God something so local and immediate and temporary. The kingdom of God is about eternal stuff, righteousness and peace and and joy, righteousness. God's holiness poured into you as he's transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. And yeah, that might mean giving up something in the moment for someone else. And yeah, that might mean you kind of separating away from what someone's thinking is right or wrong and configuring it out in your own mind where you need to stand and, and, uh, righteousness and peace. You know, this thing between you and God where you're getting along and it's going well and you understand him as your savior. There's a calm in the midst of this broken world storm. Peace and joy, a celebration of life because of who God is and how he's working in you. And notice it says comes from the Holy Spirit, not from the meat you like to eat or the spirits you like to drink, but from the Holy Spirit, right? And that's what the kingdom is about. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The definition of your walk is that you're serving your savior. Serving. Let me say the word one more time. Serving. There's a lot of sacrifice in serving. We have too many people declaring their freedom and willing to run over the top of someone. Serve your savior. And don't complicate the work he's doing in someone's life. And uh, he says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. There's a word you use all the time, right? Mutual upbuilding. Like get a t-shirt that says that people are walking by. What's that even mean? Right? Mutual 
Like it's good for both of you. Upbuilding, like both of you being built up in your walk with Christ. It's good for both of you and your transformation process and your walk with him. Mutual, not good for me. Who cares about him? Good for me. Good for him. That's what we're talking about. Okay. So responsibility and uh, making sure we don't destroy another by the freedoms we try to execute. And, uh, have you guys noticed uh, in the last couple of weeks, the word Ebola is like all over the place now. Have you noticed this talk? Ebola. And I was looking up some things this past week on it and was shocked. Uh, over 5,300 cases diagnosed at this point, And they actually believe it's significantly higher than that. But people don't want to admit because once you admit it, then there's other costs that come with it, like quarantining and all the rest, right? And so 5,300 cases, 2,600 have passed away. It's getting to be pandemic. It's a nightmare. This is a disease that is deadly and, and extremely contagious. In fact, they're tying the disease back to spread to two people that died, two different funerals. And the people that visited the funeral contracted it and then took it back to their places and it just started spreading like crazy. That's what we have going on right now. All right. The Ebola virus, it's nasty, harsh, and, and it's so out of control and beginning to grow like crazy. We ended up sending in eight health aid workers and, and we sent them in there to take care of people and teach them and taught them how to quarantine and how to protect against and how to care in the midst. And here's some things you can do to try to get over it. Although got to be honest, it's pretty dangerous and it started causing a lot of fear and a lot of concern and they didn't like hearing it. At first they like said, get away from us with that information, man. Don't want to hear about it. Don't be locking me down. Don't be tightening it up on me. And, and it got so bad as they continued to insist this last week, they grabbed those eight aid workers and they killed them and threw them in a ditch because they didn't want to hear the news that they needed to be careful with what they were doing. This was deadly. We're like, what's the matter with those people? And uh, Their freedom mattered too much to them. Now let's bring it into the church. Paul's like, do you understand the contagiousness you have? As you're walking around exercising this freedom and you might be dragging one in next to you that isn't ready to handle it. And be careful. This, this freedom you're saying you have, man, here's true love. Get ready to quarantine that freedom if it's destroying another. That's what he's saying. Man, we've got a pandemic disease going on in the church, which is my rule has to be your rule. Now come join me in it and you'll like it. And we start forcing upon each other in the gray area when really we're called to live a life of responsibility. God, I'm going to live responsibly before you what I believe to be true. If that's a narrower sense, then live that. If that's a more free sense, then live that. But be very careful. As soon as it starts to drag someone down, you need to be very done with that. All right? So here's the question. Are you the weaker or the stronger? Just so you know, usually you're weak in some areas and strong in others, okay? Um, and then the next question, if you find yourself strong in an area, you love to exercise freedoms and celebrate your king, are you ready to put it in quarantine if it's destroying another? How do I know? You're going to be needing to do some talking, man. 
You're going to need to hear from people who seem a little wobbly or they seem really uncomfortable with, and they're talking to you maybe even about it and have mentioned that it needs to change or stop. And man, you need to have a talk and sit with them and uh, be careful to talk this stuff out. Have you noticed that Romans 12 and Romans 14 forces a lot of conversation in this body? Have you noticed that? And some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh, you need to start talking more then. I'm telling you, there's a lot going on and there's relationships that need to be resolved. Be careful. If you're living out some freedom, be very cautious to that freedom. Don't let it destroy the one next to you. Responsibility in your strength. All right? That's the first. Second. Integrity. Live true to your faith, even to the point of giving up a freedom in order to protect another. Integrity. Live true to your faith, even to the point of giving up a freedom in order to protect another. Uh, Make sure you're living out the trueness of where your faith is at. If your faith is more in the, I feel better limiting this for Christ, then do that. If your faith is more in the, I feel free in this, then feel free to do that unless, right? Paul's putting a qualifier on it, unless. And uh, so here we go. He kind of repeats some things here. So I'm just going to move through this quickly, but he starts in verse 20, by the way, heads up. There's a typo in your bulletin. That's on me. It's not on Joanne. I gave her the wrong verses. All right. So we're running at 19, starting the point number two at 20. For those of you who are type A's, you're like, I knew it was wrong. Go ahead and fix that. And uh, verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that before? Like three verses ago, right? And he's just restating, let's get this clear, man. Everything is clean in and of itself. Absolutely fine. But where you are in your heart, what you think of it matters a ton. And and don't go against where your thinking is. And so let's not go in and cause someone to stumble as we throw it before them. And uh, some people might be like, I'm not sure I like the definition of stumble. I've heard it more, um, well, quite frankly, a little more judgmental than that. And So let's just go to 1 Corinthians 8 real quick, all right? 1 Corinthians 8, you can turn there with me if you want, or you can just listen. 1 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 4. He's dealing with the same topic there, different church. This is the church at Rome. Corinthians is the church at Corinth, all right? So here we go, 1 Corinthians 8. Just listen as I read. Uh, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, right? So this is food that used to be offered to idols. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, in quote, gods and many, in quote, lords. Yeah, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We know there's one God. We get that. And we know these idols are a joke. And uh, verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge. Some, through former association with idols, everybody say past experience. They've lived life before and it's gotten to them. Through former association with idols, they eat foods as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Uh, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Are you hearing the similar in it? 
Watch your freedom. Don't cause someone else to stumble. Now he goes a little further. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple. We'll talk about that in just a sec. Seriously, the dude's like walking into an idol temple and ordering up a steak. And uh, will he not, this weak person, be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat um, food offered to idols as well? And, And so here you got strong guy walking by and he walks past idol temple. And he's like, you know, those guys have some awesome filet in there. And these idols don't even exist. I mean, come on. They're serving it up right now. Let's go in and have some. And so they go in and they sit down and they're scooting up and they're like, I love Jesus Christ and I love freedom and I love, I love steak and, and I'll take a filet, medium please. And, and butterfly cut it, make it a little medium well for me and medium rare for me and their friends all order up, right? And they're enjoying the steak as they're like, this is great. What a waste that they were going to. And here walks the maybe newer believer or weaker believer walking by the idol temple and goes, they're right where I was two years ago eating. And that's, I was worshiping idol. Maybe it's okay that I do that. He goes in and he sits down with him. He orders up and he's like, this just feels so wrong. I've done this for years with, the, I can't do this. That's what was going on. Dragging him in. All right. And uh, we have to be very careful with it. It says, for if anyone sees you have, uh, who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, that's the stronger. Will he not encourage, be encouraged, the weaker, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. There's the word again. The brother for whom Christ died. There's the phrase tied again. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat uh, in front of them, basically, is what's implied there, lest I make my brother stumble. You're like, well, that's great, Tim, but I have no idea where an idol temple is in Peoria. And I don't know how to apply this passage, right? And uh, all right, here we go. Top four gray areas that may be tied back to idols. Top four gray areas that may be tied back to idols. Ready? Number one, Halloween. Don't you go there. Right? Halloween. I'm just telling you, it is absolutely tied originally to some very deep and dark stuff. And you're like, don't you know what trick-or-treat means? And don't you understand the demons and the fairies they were trying to keep away as they dressed up and they said phrases and they, like, I get original where it was. I get what, how bad and wrong it is and how evil it was tied to. And man, steeped in that is wrong. I get that. All right. And uh, at the same time, some of you are like, yeah, but I went down the street and rang the doorbell and like my neighbor threw a Snickers bar in my bag and... <laughs> And they're not worshiping Satan. <laughs> so like, now what? Right? And so let me just say to you, some of you are like, I cannot handle being around that. There is too much dark with it. And I don't want to, and I'm good with that. And some of you are like, I have freedom and I can celebrate and redeem that. And you know what? Our community makes this huge celebration of, and it's not about the other. And it's just about this redeemed thing. And just hear me on this then. That's great. Be careful. You do not drag someone in with you that is not comfortable. You hearing me? Gray area. All right. Number two, uh, language. You know, there's the Christianese swear words. You know what I'm talking about? 
I'm not going to say any of them because I'll get a lot of email. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. There's words you'd say and there's words you'd kind of place in there and they're sort of not, but they're sort of are and they're close enough to make people think, but you're not going to say them. And so then you say the other and right. And some people are like, man, dude, I came from a background that was all swearing. I can't be around that implication. And others are like, it doesn't bother me at all. I grew up in a cleaner and just be careful with the choice you have and what you're trying to say and tie to and be careful with who you're with. Um, that's a very convicting one. And a very easy one to change, by the way, too. Uh, number three. Ready? Yoga. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? And uh, just so you know, here's its origin. Uh, Hinduism. Worship 330 million gods. Every position, every posture was meant to worship a god, right? Sun salutation. Let's worship the sun god. Or you're laying on the ground on your stomach and you push up, right? In the cobra position and you're worshiping the serpent god. And, right? So they're all meant to worship different gods. Originally, that was its intent. Worshiping 330 million different gods and all these positions were taken. Yoga, it literally means yoke or teaching. It's an eight-stage element in its fullest form, Eastern mystic style, an eight-stage teaching that causes you to get one with the universe and know these 330 million gods. Everybody say, that's a bad plan. I'm just telling you, that's a bad plan, and it did come from very dark, evil stuff. Now, some people are trying to steal away the exercise part of it, and they're like, but dude, do you understand how rock hard my abs get when I do this one? Right? And, uh, all right, maybe that's an idol of self. We'll talk about that another time. But seriously, you're like, no, seriously, I have nothing to do with those gods. I don't care about any of that. I don't think Satan gets to call out the body position of that and say, mine now, dibs. Like, I'm going to stretch that way, and I'm going to actually be fine with Christ on it. And I'm just telling you, this is one where you're going to have to figure out for yourself where you stand. And if, like, every time you go into one of these positions, you're like, son, God, you probably need to stop. All right. And, and for some of you, you're like, I'm so not there. Okay. Now let me just go real on, on yoga for a second. So we've tried to steal it away over to the Western side, but they've kept a couple pieces that you better be aware of and you better get out. Okay. So the teaching of yoga is empty the mind in order to find peace. Is that what scripture says? Peace is found in some very active elements we go after Philippians 4 as we work in relationship with one another, forgiving and and, um, going after and apologizing. And then the second part of Philippians 4, as we prayerfully go before our God, thanking him, pray and thank, not empty me, engage me, right? And then as we think about that, which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise, that's what we go after. That brings peace, all right? So be careful. The teaching of outright yoga is peace comes from. And uh, so I just want to say, don't buy into it. Don't get trapped on it. A lot of you have bought a video or two of exercise. And you know the ones I'm talking about that have a yoga piece in it. And the last couple of minutes is about emptying yourself, quieting up, even saying the word "Om." You know what that's about? Trying to match with the resonating frequency of the universe so you can become one with the universe. Done with that piece. Shut three minutes off at the end of that yoga. Okay, so please hear me. Don't get your worship confused. They call it syncretism in missions. It's where you start living the the uh, non-godly with the godly things and trying to intermingle it. Cut that stuff out, man. And and well, I feel good doing the exercise piece, and I don't feel like I'm okay. That's between you and the Lord, right? And uh, well, I don't feel good with it. I'm great with that. Then don't. Okay, yoga. 
definitely has a high connect back into idols. Uh, but it doesn't have to in your world, depending on how you apply it. Enough said? A lot of you need to consider this. Some of you are like, I never knew that's what I meant when I was saying om. And uh, now you know. It'll bother you like crazy now. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're turning the video off early. I'm just telling you, that's what's going to happen. And uh, all right. Last one, alcohol. Many have come from a background where alcohol was abused viciously and it became an idol of self and, and even being near a drink is horrifying. And others are like, that's not where I came from at all and I don't have problem with having a drink. It's getting drunk that's wrong. That's a biblical statement. Just be careful who you're dragging into the drink with you. You might be dragging someone down. All right? So those are just a few of the scenarios that are gray area in our culture today. And uh, notice it says, it is not good, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That means to follow with you and do what you're doing. Okay? Not good to cause him to stumble. And so watch what you're doing. Now he's got some very helpful practical advice. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. In other words, when you're living out the gray area, maybe you don't want to go all public on that position because you've got to start being concerned about the other people and if they're being dragged in. Let me be more direct. So really a Facebook snapshot in the middle of gray area moment and then posting it up and like, I love freedom in Christ. And then you're doing whatever. And you're having one of these gray area exercise moments and do you know every single person that saw that? And do you know what's being done with that? And do you know who you're dragging down? And you may want to be less public on the gray area. That's what I'm saying. Okay. This isn't about being unreal or hiding something. This is about protecting other people. And you love the Lord and you love your freedom. And there's certain things that you may be a little more cautious with. Uh, I'm just telling you that, you know, myself, actually our staff, we don't drink alcohol. All right. Why do I not drink alcohol? I have not left my house in the last four years without running into one of you. <laughs> I love you guys like crazy and you're everywhere. <laughs> and seriously, I don't know where everybody's at with it. And so here's the deal. We're done with it. That's where we live. All right. And I'm great with giving up that freedom in order to be able to love on you and care for you wherever you're at and whatever you're walking through. All right. That's what it looks like. Enough said. Okay. So he says, um, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, you're happy to be celebrating the freedom because you know it's not destroying somebody else in the process. And when it would be, you shut it down. That's what he's saying. Um, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Here we go. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith, I must be convicted of it and convinced of it or it's sin, right? So please hear me on this. This is not what it's, everybody say not. This is not what it means. If I'm convinced it's right, it's right. You hear how I just said the positive side? That's not what it says, right? It's not like, that's it. I'm killing that guy. 
I'm convinced it's right. The guy was a punk. He deserves it. I'm taking, my gut says it's good. I'm taking him out. That doesn't make it right, right? There is an absolute and it is what it is. And I don't get to reverse that. But when God says there's a freedom, I may actually be limiting it with my own heart. So you don't widen it with your heart conviction, but you may limit it with your heart conviction. And your faith may need you to be exercising less freedom right now as you celebrate some things Christ has given up for you and you're giving that up for him. Praise be to God. Okay? That's what it looks like to live as the stronger with responsibility, with integrity. So, you know, they went in and they did a sonar search of the Titanic and they expected, you know, giant gaping hole, Titanic, right? Giant giant gaping hole. You know what they found? Six little slits along the hull that strategically let water in and sank the thing. Integrity. It's not always about one big, giant, obvious, gaping hole. It's also about the perfection along the way. The little slits in your armor can take you down and take the one down next to you. Integrity. Lord, help me to be thorough in this. Help me to be loving in this. Help me to be kind and gracious in this as we live this out. Careful. As you live out the gray area, if it's more about your freedom, you're losing the value in Christ. It's more about him. And all of God's people said, all right. One last statement just to put a challenge on this. So some people could walk away and they could say these words. I knew it. I knew I could walk around and tell everybody what not to do. And you didn't listen to me at all. Right? You'd be amazed what people hear as I get done talking for 45 minutes and the quotes that happen. So I'm just saying, please emphatically, it's not walking up to somebody and saying, dude, I so believe those kinds of shoes are sin. You're going to have to change those the next time you come to church. Right? And they're like, so here's your real question. Are you ready? This is your question. Is it causing you to wear these kinds of shoes? No, I just believe it's wrong. Yeah, that's not really what Romans 14 is about at all. Is it dragging you in as the weaker? And if it is, I'm willing to hear it and I'll give up anything for it. And if you're just looking to lay down your law, see, that's legalism coming into play all over the place, trying to eat the church alive. And we're not going to be about it. Everybody say, we're not going to be about it. (laughs) Protect this church, please. Romans 14 can go wrong in two seconds flat and our God is no longer being honored. And we're trying to make my rule the rule. Last week's point. Let's be very careful with it. So here's my request. If faith is what it's all about, maybe it's time for us to get on our knees before our God and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I want to follow you with all I have. I want to dedicate this to you. I want to serve my Savior, Jesus Christ, who has gone to the cross for me. I will make much of you. And if there's something I need to give up, teach me what that is, Lord. And if there's something I need to learn even to enjoy and express into, teach me that over time, Lord. But Father, may I constantly come to you. Lord, I need you. And I want to serve and worship you with all I've got and love those around me as we go. Now that's living as the stronger. And all of God's people said, let's pray.